Welcome to the Creepin' It Real Show. <laughs> well, after all, all of those shenanigans, after all of those shenanigans, has but after all those shenanigans have your one-stop shop for weird news, spooky, otherworldly, and paranormal shenanigans. After he returned home, Taylor, I heard about this, Taylor immediately murdered his wife by ripping out her eyes and tongue, then tearing off most of the skin from her face, finally strangling their pet poodle. Police found Taylor standing in the street naked and covered in blood, shouting, It is the blood of Satan. We'll take a dive into what's going on in creepy pop culture. Backing up a little kind of got to me. I don't know if y'all have seen Cabin Fever. That one's so good. Yeah. yeah. And they they have all the rashes, you know, on their skin. And at some point, the guy goes and puts Listerine on his dick after he bangs a girl that has. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, put some Listerine on that. it. We'll be fine. <laughs> Find the Creepin' It Real show on your favorite podcast playing app. See you on the flip side. Hey, Peoples for the People listeners. Today, we have a very special bonus episode for you. You're going to hear all about the process we went through to tell this story. Everything from how I got started looking into this case and how many episodes we originally planned to audio from interviews I conducted that didn't make it into the story. But before we dive in, I just wanted to thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Without you... My team and I couldn't do this. To show your support and to help keep this podcast going, head over to our online merchandise store and check out all of our awesome gear. You can find the link to the store right in the description of this episode. When people ask me now, what can you point to that to you know to, that shows that Gary was innocent? I think of a couple things. They don't want to look at the forest. They just want to look at trees. Uh, it's over. It's done with. I have no more comments to say about anything. It's over. It's done. Having that card be exposed, couldn't that cause a dangerous situation for her? Yeah, it could have, I suppose. But that's, yeah, I mean, it could have. You know. But what good would it have done? Why would it have put her in any kind of a danger? All these things are all made up facts, all different things by Lisa Peebles and John. So the reports that said she was a confidential drug informant written by police, you believe were made up? I don't believe she ever was, as has been reported by the police, that she never worked as one. So please, use anything you want of me. I'll drag you into court so fast that you won't even be able to see which way you're going. Is this, or is this not Beth Murtaugh? Get the fuck out of here. You had some theories about what happened to Heidi, and I uh, just wanted to give you a call and see if I could talk to you about it. No, I, I, I don't want to talk about it at all. The whole thing's turned into a total clusterfuck. Well, guess what? You guys are lower than whale shit. If you, if... A whale shit, you'd be underneath their shit. Although my mother, Lisa Peebles, began looking into this case in 2013, I didn't really start to get an understanding of it until she was well into the appeal process defending Gary Thibodeau, the man convicted of Heidi Allen's kidnapping. 
If you listened to all 15 episodes, you already know Gary was convicted based on no physical or forensic evidence. And on top of that, no one has ever been able to place him at the scene of the crime. I digress. I was in undergrad at Alfred University studying business administration when the new evidence in this case surfaced. And as a college student who was tragically uninformed, I didn't spend much of my time worrying about what was going on. It wasn't until I was pursuing my master's in journalism at Syracuse University's Newhouse School that I found myself wrapped up in this devastating injustice. It was July of 2019 when I found myself traipsing through the woods off of Route 69 in Parrish, New York. I was with my mother, John O'Brien, and my mom's former investigator, Dick Hallman. Hallman was the former deputy chief of the Syracuse Police Department, and he was the first one on Gary's defense team to realize there was much more to Heidi's kidnapping than what the sheriffs and the DA were letting on. Anyhow, we were in the woods searching for a potential burial site. O'Brien had recalled a lead he got from Michael Bohr years prior when he was a reporter for the Syracuse Post-Standard. The four of us were really not fit for this mission. Hallman, though he was a former police officer, had been battling Parkinson's disease. O'Brien was nervous we wouldn't be able to make our way back to our cars. And every time I was out of sight, my mom would start yelling out in fear I was lost. After about an hour of searching, we made our way back to our vehicles empty-handed. It was at that moment that I became hooked on this case. I thought to myself, since when was it a defense attorney's job to search for a burial site of a kidnapped girl? The case to this day remains open. Why weren't the police doing this? After more than a year of extensive research, I believe I found the answer to that question. This is Peebles for the People, and I'm Alex Peebles. But I think we need a miracle I'm tired Of being held down And I'm tired Of watching these people die When I began telling this story I didn't have a clear vision Of what the final product Was going to look like There was a lot I didn't know Like how I was going to present key information How many episodes it was going to be who I was going to call, what records I was going to track down, and I certainly didn't know how long this process was going to take. My editorial producer Dave Graff and I decided to sit down and have a conversation about it. We figured how we told the story of Heidi Allen's kidnapping is important for you to hear. So today, let's talk about what was happening behind the scenes of this podcast. Dave, thanks for doing this. Um, thanks for being here. How are you, man? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Happy to join you. I've enjoyed working on this. I'm you know, happy to get the listeners a little behind the scenes of what we've been doing for months and months now. Over Just over a year now. I had mentioned earlier that this case sparked my interest in July of 2019, when we were walking through the woods in search for a burial site. 
but it wasn't until months later that I actually started formulating a plan. I wasn't really sure how I was going to tell the story or on what platform I was going to tell it. This story already had tons of local coverage, and Dateline has done a special on it as well. Even today, just say the name Heidi Allen, and a swirl of memories come back. It was 1994. 18-year-old Heidi Allen, taking the early shift for a co-worker, opened the convenience store about 5.45 a.m. But for most cases, and this one in particular, it's impossible to tell the full story in just an hour-long episode. To truly tell this story, we knew we needed time. Time to research, of course, but also time to actually tell the story. It would be really hard to capture that in an hour, so that was one of the cool things about this format. I felt like you could kind of dive in to each kind of side story and take your time uh, and really give it all the room that it needs and, and deserves, you know, certainly for Gary and, and for Heidi. After I finished the first episode, I felt a bit lost. I was drowning in transcripts. I had dozens of hours of audio that I still had to go through and transcribe, and I still didn't know how to structure this story in a way that everyone could understand. Like any story, it was important for us to reach out to both sides. I looked forward to those conversations. But like most things during this process, I never could have predicted the responses I got. I tried reaching Greg Oakes, Donald Dodd, investigator James Petrosky, and former sheriff Mo Todd. None of them were willing to talk with me. Oakes and I did exchange emails in which he answered some of my questions, but that ended abruptly when I asked about him speaking with Richard Murtaugh. Oakes and Murtaugh spoke pretty consistently leading up to the hearing, according to Richard Murtaugh's sister, Beth Murtaugh. I wanted to know what they were talking about and if the vanishing text messages from Jen Westcott were ever discussed. Oakes simply referred me to Murtaugh's testimony. Still, I wanted to know what they were talking about and why they were talking so frequently. So I tried calling Richard Murtaugh directly. He didn't seem happy to hear from me and hung up the phone. So it was on to the next one, Beth Murtaugh. I had a lot of questions for her. Most of them stem from the recording of her talking to Petrosky. But before I get into that, Let's take a quick break. Like all of you, the pandemic has affected all aspects of my life. From not being able to see my friends and loved ones in person, to my hair growing uncontrollably. Now I remember why I used to keep it so short. The upkeep was exhausting, and I couldn't find the right products that were not only good for my hair, but also protected my scalp from flaking. Until I found Gemist. I took their quick two-minute quiz and their algorithm matched me with the best shampoo and conditioner for me. I have no clue how the algorithm works, but it helped me find the perfect products for me. Some would say it's magic, but in reality, it's just science. The best part is, you can try Gemist risk-free. That's right, with free and easy returns within 30 days, Gemist gives you the opportunity to search for what you've always been looking for in shampoo and conditioner with no risk. Right now, 
my listeners can give Gemma's to try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner. Just visit Gemmist.com to get your personalized recommendation and enter Peebles at checkout for 20% off and free two-day shipping. That's Gemmist.com, G-E-M-M-I-S-T.com, and enter code Peebles at checkout to get the best hair of your life. Okay, let's pick up right where we left off. Apparently, the Murtaugh's have a running joke that if you piss them off, they'll send you to Canada. Here, and I'm going to be dead honest with you on this one. The, these would be the only things you would hear out of my mouth from someone that would be honest. Never again will I say, fuck you, if you piss me off, I'm going to put you in a car and ship you to Canada. Right? That used to be a joke. That's what you used to say? It used, jo- used to be a joke. Right, right. Ain't no joke no more. Right. I don't even say it no more. Right, right. So the best that someone can say is that, is that I have said that. Okay. Right? Like, literally used to be a joke till right. this shit came out with Heidi Allen and joke right. no more anything. Well, that was a joke because of that rumor then, right? No. No. Oh, just a rumor that... I've I'll owned a you... scrapyard my whole life. Oh, put you in a car if, and if, ship you. Right. Like, oh. fuck you, shut your mouth. I'll put you in a car and ship you away. It was a joke. Now it's not something that's even said. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, no. So like I'm saying to you, the best thing someone could come back to you and and tell you about me is that I've said something like that. Big deal. Big deal. And it wasn't a big deal until the shit came up. Right. Right. Okay. But other than that... Though this phone call was longer than my call with Richard Murtaugh, it didn't exactly play out the way I had imagined it would. Hi, is this Beth Murtaugh? Who's calling? Uh, my name is Alex Peebles. I am a journalist doing a podcast about the Heidi Allen kidnapping. And I uh, heard a recording of you talking to Investigator Petrosky. Just had a couple of questions. Are you on drugs? Um, I'm not, no. Yeah, you must be. So... Why did you take such a such an intense you interest? You don't even know who you're. You don't even know who you're talking to. Who am I talking to? This is Beth Murtaugh, right? Exactly. You have no idea who you're even talking to. Why do you say that? Because you don't even know who you're talking to. This is Beth Murtaugh, is it not? No one confirmed who you were or weren't on the phone with. I just based on the recording of Beth Murtaugh and Investigator Petrosky, you sound like Beth Murtaugh. Are you denying that this... Is this Beth Murtaugh? Who is even Beth Murtaugh? Is this... Or is this not Beth Murtaugh? Get the fuck out of here. I also tried talking to Petrosky. I did speak with him briefly, but he told me he would have to call me back after talking with his supervisor but he never did. It was frustrating that no one wanted to talk to me, but I knew the next call could be the one where I get some answers. I called former Sheriff Mo Todd. You heard that call. Todd told me the case was over and done with. I found that to be an odd thing for the former sheriff to say, especially considering his son Mike Todd and Heidi were extremely close. Heidi went to prom with Mike. 
If Heidi and Mike were close, I figured he may have known Heidi was a CI, and I wondered if she had ever told Mike about her informing. So, I picked up the phone. Mike and I spoke for about 10 minutes. Hello? Hi, is this Mike Todd? It is. Hi, Mike. My name is Alex Peebles. Uh, I'm a journalist, and I'm doing a podcast about uh, the Heidi Allen case. And her sister, Lisa Buskey, had mentioned that you guys were very close, you and Heidi. Yeah, we were friends. Would you be willing to talk with me really quickly um, for my podcast? Sure. What do you want to know? Uh, I just, you know, there's a lot of reports out there of her being a confidential informant, and you guys were close. I was wondering, did she say anything to you about that when you guys were in high school or what, when it no. was? No. What? All these things are all made up facts all different things by Lisa Peebles and John so the reports that said she was a confidential drug informant written by police you believe were made up I don't believe she ever was as has been reported by the police that she never worked as one what what about um did you know Brett Law at all yeah I knew Brett because he said she dated it, him all through high school and he had said that you know, she was reporting on some some bad people in a recording with know. police. I don't know any about that thing about that. She never mentioned it to me. Okay. But I, she was also two years behind me, so when that would have been happening, I was gone. I was in college. Gotcha. Yeah. From the time I graduated, when I was a senior and she was a sophomore, I think I saw her maybe three, four times. Gotcha. So, what did you? Um, what do you think happened to Heidi? Exactly what happened. The guy that kidnapped her died in prison. Do you think Gary Thibodeau kidnapped her? Absolutely. How can you be so sure? Well, do you have any better evidence? Well, was there any physical or forensic evidence that linked Gary to the, the kidnapping? Well, what's your question? He was convicted. Well, why wasn't Richard convicted? Well, Richard didn't admit to it in prison. So, oh, so you're okay. So you, based on the jailhouse informants. Yes. Okay. What about this? The new evidence that came out. What about Jennifer Westcott's phone call? Did you have? Did you read about that or hear that at all? Yeah, I did. Why didn't she testify during the trial? The original trials or the hearing? Because she did testify during during the hearing in 2015. No, she didn't. I believe she did. No, not in county. She didn't. Not in front of King. Uh, I'll have to look into that. But so, did you hear? Did you hear the fo recorded phone call between her and Tanya then? Yeah. And she admits that Heidi was taken to her place by Boar, Breckenridge, and Steen. I. That's her story. Do you think that it's? You don't think that that's more plausible to what happened? No. Why would she make that up? Shut up. I, I, I think she made it up. Just because? Yeah. I figured Mike hung up on me, but about five minutes later, he called me back and said his phone died. It took me about 30 seconds or so to get my recorder going, so I was unable to record the beginning of this call. He asked who I was, even though I clearly introduced myself at the beginning of the call I made to him. 
He wasn't happy when he realized who I was. Heidi, That's what I know your mother did. Your mother sent investigators out to go talk to my ex-wife. John O'Brien on blogs puts out there that I killed her. I don't think that that, that John O'Brien ever... It's 100% accurate. Your mother sent investigators to go talk to my ex-wife. Right, but I'm saying that I don't think that John O'Brien ever did that. Well, John O'Brien absolutely did it. He might not do it in his name, but he did it on the Oswego, New York line. And they certainly floated my name out enough times. To somebody who was an exceptionally close friend of mine, whose family was a close friend of mine. So if your whole point is to find Heidi, and your whole rationale is to do that, which has always been our hope the entire time, is what exactly are we trying to accomplish here? Because it just seems we try and keep trying to bring up a convicted, like at least five different courts have, you know, upheld his conviction that he was the guy who did it because they have shown no evidence that it was anybody other than him. I would, I would argue that his original trial, there was no evidence to, that indicated beyond a reasonable doubt According that he did to it. Your mother. Well, According- 12 people in the way our justice system works, 12 people agreed with it and convicted him. And one but of those we jurors, you know, one of those jurors came back and said she feels terrible about the conviction, right? That's one out of 12. If I didn't know who you were, if I didn't know who you were, I wouldn't have spoken to you at all. Well, I, I said who I said my name right at the beginning. Uh, I didn't hear the people's part. I heard Alex. I didn't hear the people's part. Or I absolutely wouldn't have spoken to you. Well, I, I said my name very clearly at the start. I don't know. Well, I didn't hear the people's part until I called and asked for you for the second time. And I think it's a little bit of a conflict of interest that you're running a podcast on this, being that you're that close to it. And I understand that, and that's why, you know, part of what I'm doing is making sure that I'm telling both sides of the story accurately. What does Lisa seem to think? Do you think that Gary is the one who did it? Do you know that my father was actually a federal magistrate judge who wrote a report recommendation to deny Gary Thibodeau's habeas corpus act. Yeah, I did know that. Right. So my family's on both sides of this. Well, so far, nobody has ever shown me any evidence that it was other than Gary. And I, again, I would just have to say no one has shown evidence that it was Gary beyond a reasonable doubt. Here's the one. Here's the facts we've got. Gary was convicted. Gary died in prison. Gary's never getting out of prison. And until Richard talks, if Richard ever talks, which I doubt he won't, because the girlfriend that went with him to Massachusetts who died of the heart attack in Arizona, she's certainly not going to talk anymore. Then we're probably not going to ever find her body because they hit it in Massachusetts. Do you think that? You, so you don't think Michael Bohr? had anything to do with this no what would he have been about 12 15 michael bohr younger yeah how old would the four of them because we so far what i've heard is about 12 different people have killed her and we've thrown out a bunch of stuff to walls that have tried to stick out there whether it's been me or steen or any of these people so i mean how many how many different people are we going to accuse to it? The only person that we haven't accused of it, which I think is the most plausible person, that if it wasn't Gary, was the Easter Bunny because it was Easter morning. 
Yeah, that's the only person we haven't accused so far. Are we going to accuse the Easter Bunny next? If I didn't know who you are, I wouldn't have speak, spoken to you, and I don't authorize you using any of my stuff because I didn't know who you were, and I certainly would have spoken to anybody associated with your mother. I very clearly said who I was at the beginning of the, the phone call. I did call. not hear your name. That's why I called back and asked who you were. You called back as your phone died. Right, and I wanted to know who you were because I didn't hear who you were. So I'm going to tell you I don't authorize you using me for anything. You spoke to me for at least three minutes. And you didn't know who I was after I said my no, first and last name? No, I didn't name? know who you were. That's why I called and asked for specifics. So please, use anything you want of me. I'll drag you into court so fast that you won't even be able to see which way you're going. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day. Yeah. Aside from Mike's baseless accusations that Lisa Peebles and John O'Brien simply made up the fact that Heidi was a C.I., I have not come across anything or anyone accusing Mike of this crime. I asked O'Brien if he wrote anything about Mike on that anonymous message board, the Oswego Lion. O'Brien, whose investigative journalism landed him a spot on the Syracuse Press Club's Wall of Distinction, said what Mike accused him of was simply ridiculous. Among the baseless theories that Mike talked about, he mentioned Bohr was 12 years old when Heidi was kidnapped. Bohr was 38 years old when Heidi went missing and had two prior convictions, as you already know. And Jen Westcott absolutely did testify in front of Judge King in 2015. As had been par for the course, I never imagined those calls would turn out the way they did. And I certainly didn't foresee what was to come after my call with Mike Todd. Join me next week as I tell you about a Facebook tirade against me from those close to Heidi, right here on Peebles for the People. I've gotten several questions on Twitter about the songs I use in this podcast. Typically, I respond directly on Twitter. So for all of that information and more, go follow me at AlexPeebles93. For those who aren't on Twitter, I put the songs in the full description of this episode. The song you hear underneath me speaking right now was a song written by a local band for Gary. It's called Gary the Innocent. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to download, rate, and subscribe. We'll see you next week, right here on Peoples for the People.
back the board, show us our pawn. 